Jesus is not the one-dimensional preacher of love and peace that many people like to envision that he is. Yes, he is loving and compassionate, but he's also angered by evil. And that's because he's holy and he's ultimately concerned about the truth. That concern is evident in the lesson you're about to hear. Stephen Davy continues his wisdom journey through the Bible with a lesson from John chapters 2 and 3. Stephen called this lesson, Cleaning His Father's House. Back in the days of Christ, it was the dream of every Jewish person to someday celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, wrote that during Passover, Jerusalem's population would swell to some three million people and More than 200,000 lambs would be offered up in sacrifice as a memorial to that first Passover and, and the exodus of the Jewish people from Egypt's bondage. Now, John chapter 2 tells us here in verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, don't miss the irony of this moment, beloved. The one who was just introduced as the Lamb of God is now present at the festival along with all of those Passover lambs. So the one who will be sacrificed for our freedom is in Jerusalem as the nation of Israel sacrifices these lambs to celebrate their freedom. Now, according to the law of Moses, only an unblemished lamb was to be offered as the Passover sacrifice. People, people could bring a, a lamb from their own flock, but it would have to be approved by the priests before it could be offered. Now, the priests in Jerusalem had created a market where approved sacrificial animals could be purchased. Well, what started out as a convenience, though, soon turned uh, to corruption. Inspectors on the payroll of the priesthood would examine the animals brought to the Passover for sacrifice by the peasants, the community, and and they'd always find some reason to reject the animal, you know, an individual brought from his own flock, and and that would force him to purchase one from the temple stockyard. And from what we can piece together historically, the animals were being sold at 10 times their normal value. You know, that's kind of like buying a soft drink at the fair or a hot dog at the baseball game. The cost just skyrockets. Well, they know they've got you, right? Well, now, in addition to this issue, the priests charged an annual fee. They called it the temple tax. So every pilgrim who wanted to enter the temple complex to worship had to pay this tax. Now, the problem was all kinds of currencies, different kinds of coins were used in that time, everything from silver coins from Rome to copper coins from Egypt. Well, the priesthood saw in this an opportunity to make even more money. They demanded that all the pilgrims exchange their money for temple currency. They called it shekels of the sanctuary. Now, only, only this currency then was accepted for payment in the temple. Well, of course, the The people were charged a fee for exchanging their money. So by the time of Christ, these business enterprises in the temple court had become known as the temple 
market, actually nicknamed the Bazaars of the Sons of Annas. Annas was the former high priest. And, and frankly, it was nothing more than extortion. It, it, was, it was corruption from top to bottom. And let me tell you, to this day, corrupt religion is always more interested in making money than making disciples. So now, with that as a backdrop, Jesus shows up at, at the temple. You, you got the Lamb of God who's about to start roaring like a lion, the Lion of Judah. In fact, verse 14 tells us, in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, let me tell you, Jesus is doing more here than turning over some tables. He's revealing his authority over his father's house. During the Passover, it was the duty of each family to rid their homes of leaven. That was a symbol of evil. So they'd sweep their homes out. Well, Jesus calls the temple here his father's house. Do you know what he's doing? He's effectively cleaning house. He is declaring ownership and authority over the temple. Well, notice here at verse 18, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Listen, they knew the only person with this kind of authority was the Messiah, so they wanted to, you know, they wanted to see his driver's license, so to speak. They, they wanted proof of his identity. Jesus answers them here in verse 19. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now verse 22 explains that after his resurrection, his disciples understood he was speaking of his own, his own body being raised from the dead on the third day. Well, now here in chapter 3, John inserts the account of a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious leader who was moved by the actions of Christ this day. He's not quite ready to speak openly, publicly with the Lord. So he he sneaks over at night to where Jesus is staying. And verse 2 tells us, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Well, Jesus gets right to the point here in in verse 3, saying, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, he's just told this religious man he's not going to heaven apart from a new birth. Now, he's no doubt done a lot of good things in his life. Nicodemus was a leader in the land. Uh, But he's not trusting the right thing for eternal life. Now, of course, Nicodemus wants to know how someone can re-enter his mother's womb in order to be born again. He's confused here. So Jesus tells him in verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He explains further in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The phrase born of water, literally out of water, the water sack, refers then to 
normal physical birth. In other words, what Jesus is saying is is being born a descendant of Abraham was not Nicodemus's ticket to heaven. One has to be born of the Spirit. In other words, being born again is a spiritual birth. So here's the next question Jesus anticipates. If the Spirit of God is invisible, how can we be sure of having had a spiritual rebirth? Jesus says here in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, you can't see the wind, but the wind leaves behind the effects of its power and presence. So also, the Holy Spirit can't be seen, but he leaves behind the effects of his presence and power on those who've experienced the new birth. Well, Nicodemus's question here in verse 9 reveals that he still doesn't understand. He asks the Lord, how can these things be? And with that, Jesus introduces the, the clearest illustration yet here in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And Nicodemus would have instantly recognized Jesus' reference back to Numbers chapter 21. It, it taught a connection between faith and salvation. There in the wilderness, Israel complained against God. God then sent poisonous snakes into the camp. God told Moses to fashion a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole, and those who were bitten could look to that bronze serpent and be instantly cured, literally saved from God's judgment. Likewise, Jesus is saying, is by believing in him, looking to him, who will be lifted up on the cross, well, by looking to him in faith, you can have eternal life. By the way, this is the simple message of salvation through faith in Christ. We're going to look at it some more in our next session, but but for now, I want you to consider this challenge for Nicodemus. Perhaps you see yourself in Nicodemus. Maybe you feel like Nicodemus uh, once felt. You're, you're trusting in your own good works Your hope is in yourself. Your faith is really in you, but you're still empty. You know you need spiritual life. You need to be born again. And let me tell you, salvation is a gift from God. It's received by faith when you look to that old rugged cross and you place your faith in the Lamb of God who was sacrificed to pay the penalty for your sin. Right where you are right now, you can ask him to become your Savior. When you ask him to become your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, at this very moment, you are born again. Well, more on this next time. Until then, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey and a lesson called Cleaning His Father's House. This is The Wisdom Journey. Stephen is teaching through the entire Bible with a new lesson each weekday. We have a gift for you. 
We have a free resource to equip fathers who want to lead their families in godliness. This is a free digital resource that we're going to email to you upon request. You can request your copy right now at wisdomonline.org forward slash dad. Once again, that's wisdomonline.org forward slash dad. Do that now and then join us next time. 